and you're listening to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast of laptops with a ton of screens. I'm your friend Alex Kranz and I am currently walking through the streets of New York to try to tire out my dog after he slept for the last three days on our drive back from Texas. Found a whole bunch of cool gadgets in my mom's house. Really excited to play with them, but first I gotta get this dog worn out. And we gotta do a whole Vergecast episode about CES. I know, I know, we've done a ton of episodes about CES so far, but there's just a little bit more left to do. So we're gonna be talking to Monica Chen about all the laptops she saw and when we're gonna actually see them in 2023 and what they mean for laptop trends this year. And then we're gonna talk to Victoria Song because health technology was a really big deal at the show this year. And she's been looking into what the FDA is doing to make sure that when we use all these new health gadgets, we don't die. But first, I gotta go wear this dog out. I'll see you right after the break. Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve wracking. So why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Okay, and we're back. So there was a ton of laptops announced at CES. I know we've talked about a bunch of them on the show already, but I had to talk to Monica Chen because she was actually there. She got to play with these laptops and she wrote about almost every single one announced at the show, it seems like. So we're going to talk about the Lenovo's and the Razer's and the LG's and the Seuss's, all of them. And then we're going to talk about the state of the laptop business in 2023 and what you're going to see from all of these companies this year. It's a super fun conversation, very nerdy. Let's get into it. All right, Monica, have you recovered from CES yet? Did you get a funk? A funk? Yeah, the CES funk. Are you like snotty right now? No, actually, I was I was so sure I was going to come back like deathly ill, but I'm like very fine right now. I'm raring to go, which I think might be the first time that has ever happened to me after CES where I haven't come back with like the flu. So knocking on wood, you never know what could happen. But this was a remarkably good recovery. Awesome. Well, that is great because I'm just going to be like grilling you today about CES. I'm very jealous that I didn't get to go. I didn't get to go to like that weird room that Lenovo always has. It's not weird. It's fine. We missed you in that room, Alex. I know. They they were probably like, where was she? There were laptops with your name on them everywhere and you weren't there. It's so sad. It was, yeah. I'm all, oh my God. You're, you're giving me a lot of FOMO right now. <laughs> but you saw a bunch of stuff. I know there was the really, really kick-ass Lenovo that I'm glad I didn't go because I would have been just playing with that the entire time. <laughs> what, like, what was your favorite thing that you saw at CES this year? 
I would have to say the the Lenovo dual screen. Basically what it is is there's a 13.3-inch OLED screen on the top. There's a 13-inch OLED screen on the bottom. 2.8K, same size, same resolution. You can fold it in half. You can unfold it. So when you unfold it, it's just like this super tall thing. And then you like put it on a kickstand. And it's just like this one massive long window with like a hinge in the middle, but whatever. And then you can fold it into a clamshell laptop mode where you have like one screen on the top and one screen on the bottom. You can put it sideways so it's like a book. You can fold Fold it backwards so that it's a tablet, and but like the keyboard's not awkwardly on the back. There are a lot of ways you can use it. it, it it's like a Surface Neo reimagined kind of like this sort of form factor isn't new, but it feels yeah. a little more similar to me to using like a foldable, like um, Lenovo's done a foldable before, Asus has a foldable, various people have foldables. This is like that, but like if it didn't suck, because like foldables <laughs> are like a lot of fun to fold, but like they're fun to use as a tablet. When you fold them into a clamshell form factor, the problem is that like cuts the screen size you have in half yeah. and like makes it like really impractical to use often. Like even the 17 inches, when you fold them, they still become like pretty small and creepy pretty cramped because of, like, the bezel space on the side. Because you're talking about the foldables that are, like, one big display. Like the ZenBook folds, yeah, the ThinkPad X1 folds, yeah. This is like that, except when you fold it, it actually, you can actually still use it, and it's just, like, a regular 13-incher, oh. which I really, I really like. And I think this is actually, like, really versatile and practical. I know you only got to spend a little time with it. You didn't get to spend days and days with it. But how is the typing? So there is a keyboard. There's, like, a keyboard that you can, like, snap on and off. That is what I would use most of the time just because, mm-hmm. like, that's a keyboard. I want to type on a keyboard most of the time. You can also type in it, plug in an external keyboard, which is what I assume some folks will do if they don't like the flat one. I liked the flat one. I thought it was okay. fine. It did not feel, like, super, super flat. I would not say it was – I mean, it doesn't feel like using, like, a great – keyboard from Asus or someone. But, like, I thought it was, like, acceptable. I would have been happy to, like, type on it. It had a nice click. You can also use a haptic feedback keyboard on the flat screen on the bottom if you fold it into clamshell mode. But is it good? So, obviously, I think most people aren't going to prefer to, like, type on a flat screen because, like, it's (laughs) typing on a flat screen. I much prefer it to typing on, like, an iPad. The haptic feedback is, like, very good. There's, like, a real click. The keys are really roomy because it is full-size. Like, it is the size that it would be on a 13-inch laptop. So it wasn't, like, riddled with typos the way that, like, it often is when I'm typing on an iPad because it's so tiny. Yeah. And so it was, like, usable. It was probably the best on-screen keyboard I've ever tested, which, again, the bar for that is on the floor. But it is, it is like, it is not (laughs) difficult to meet that standard at all. But it is, like, a, it is a nice haptic keyboard that, like, you could use it in a pinch. You, You feel like you are clicking keys a little bit, which, again, is more than, for example, you get from the Windows on-screen keyboard most of the time. I, like, I'm honestly not surprised by that because Lenovo's always been pretty good at keyboards, more so on the ThinkPad than the than the Yoga lines. But, like, I've always liked a Lenovo keyboard. Yeah, ThinkPad keyboards are very – are legendary. Um, unfortunately, this one, not being a ThinkPad, does not have a, have a haptic little red thing in the middle. That would have um, been the best. But, you know, you can't have everything in life. But it is really <laughs> fun. And the other cool thing when you about clamshell mode is when you use that, that on-screen keyboard, regardless of whether you are using the haptic one or the physical one that you, like, plonk on, there is a touchpad that they put, mm-hmm. like, on the bottom. Because, like, one of my big concerns when I first saw this announcement, I was like, where is the touchpad? There's no touchpad on this. Like, how do you navigate yeah. this? And uh, the answer is that there are a number of different ways, but one of them is there is a haptic touchpad that they put on the bottom. It's The buttons are actually, like, physical buttons. I mean, they're, like, virtual physical buttons. 
like they're not like real buttons, but like they they are outlined as buttons. When you click, they feel like you're clicking buttons. Again, it doesn't feel like you're clicking like great buttons, but it is like I, I would say it is better haptic feedback than like some other haptic touchpads out there. Yeah. I deeply enjoy Lenovo products. ThinkPads are like, if I had to own a Windows PC that wasn't one I built myself, it'd probably be a ThinkPad. But the bloatware can be kind of bad in Lenovo products. Did this feel like bloaty at all? Like all all this extra software? Because this isn't Windows stuff. This is like Lenovo made all of this stuff to make it work. So there is one, as far as I know, there is one Lenovo like control center where you sort of control everything. And mm-hmm. other than that, it really is just, it. at least in my, what I was doing, it was Windows with like a bunch of extra gestures that they put in. So okay. there were not like, as far as I know, it was not like an Acer experience where there's like Lenovo experience center and Lenovo game center and <laughs> Lenovo sound center. Like I do, I there might be those, but I didn't have to interact with them if they were there. I didn't have things popping up everywhere. Again, this was a pre-production unit so that is somewhat difficult to extrapolate to like what's going to be on the shelf and like what you're going to get if you buy one of these but this really felt very much like using windows and they actually plan to ship it yeah this is they are putting this out is their claim like it's not windows 10x or it's not like the the fancy microsoft thing that they were going to ship like this is regular windows it feels like using windows lenovo has put a bunch of gestures in and the lenovo control center which is where you can like play with the haptic touchpad and you can toggle with the keyboard and fool around with some of the, the dual screen stuff that actually seemed pretty responsive it didn't again i only had a little bit of time with it and it was supervised but sometimes those things are like super glitchy when they first ship and like require you to restart the computer when you like do a single thing um, mm-hmm. This seemed pretty responsive and pretty, like, well-developed and, like, time was put into it um, and reasonably well laid out. Like, the part I think you're going to access the most, which is the please pull up the touchpad part, was, like, really easy to get to and not buried. So that was great. That's very cool. Um, and it comes out what time this year? It's supposed to arrive in June. Okay. And they gave me $2,000 price. So, like, somewhere in that range we're expecting. That's a similar price. What Did they talk about processor at all? Like, what's the internals on this thing look like? So, yeah, it has the 13th gen Intel Core i7 U15 processor. So that's a U-series processor. It's a thin and light processor. It's not going to be like, you know, your huge gaming laptop stuff. But I have had I have had a lot of people ask, and even some of our video people ask, like, could you edit on this? And, like, I think you could try. Like, I wouldn't, <laughs> you know, I, and I think this will be obvious to most people who work in the space, but a U-series processor isn't going to give you, like, the best Premiere Pro experience. But I have had U-series machines where I've had to, dive into premiere and like do some quick things or i've had to go do some photo stuff and like it's slow it's kind of slow to load but like will work and that's like again without making any like strict pronouncements not having used the thing for it that's what i would like generally expect out of this kind of category processor yeah no i'm just excited because i feel like we've been seeing this form factor how many times have you gone i know i've done it a bunch and you have too you go to a place and they get really excited and they're like Okay, you can't you can't share this with anyone. It's not ready yet. It's like three years away. But look, and it's 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 what Lenovo's doing right now. Yeah, they've had prototypes of this thing at their CES booth before in various years, and other people have too, right? Like I feel like Intel was always showing. Intel's always like the new way. Intel's so good that soon this is gonna be your computer. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I think what that highlights is, like, this is not, like, a new form factor. Like, that's, like, people have done this before. This has been floating around. I see this really as a software announcement. Oh, interesting. Lenovo has said that they've invested in putting real gesture control on this thing. They've invested in an ecosystem where this is easy to use. They have put in the work to make to address the question of where is the touchpad, for example, and like the fact that everyone hates on screen keyboards and doesn't and virtual touchpads are kind of hit or miss when other companies try them. They really, I think, have put thought into that stuff and effort into that stuff. How that's going to pay off. You know, we're going to have to see, but that to me is the the significant thing here, less so the the fact that you can like open and close it and there's a screen on the bottom. Although that is cool. <laughs> it is cool. And it's also just $2,000. I say just, that is a lot of money for something that is not actually tested with lots of people using it yet. But that feels kind of cheap to me. Yeah, I mean, that 2000 is is more than a lot of people are going to want to pay. Compared to foldables, that's a bargain. Like the Asus ZenBook 17 Fold started at like over four thousand, I think. Like oh, it was yeah. like some ridiculous amount of money. So this is like not that. It is you know it's still a premium product in the premium space. We we hope to see that drop. Um, Lenovo prices often do drop very quickly. Lenovo often sets their their MSRPs like much higher than things tend to sell for. Um, so I'm hopeful that we'll see it. We'll see it go for lower. Did at any point you flip it around and pretend like you were in Star Trek? No. <laughs> 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 Just shut me down. I haven't seen Star Trek, so I don't know what you're talking about, unfortunately. All right. We're not going to take a break yet, but that made me want to take a break real bad. I'll survive. I'll survive. <laughs> what other cool stuff did you see at CES? So also in the Lenovo booth, one of the things I thought was really cool was they had the Lenovo ThinkPhone by Motorola. And this is essentially if a ThinkPad like made a wish on a star to become a smartphone and then that wish came true like it's this little smartphone that like is designed to look like a thinkpad it has like if you've used a thinkpad you'll and you see this phone you'll you'll sort of get what I'm talking about like it has the textured mm-hmm. back that it's all black it has like the little logo with the red dot on it there is a little red button on the side which is not Beautiful. a keyboard nub, but like that's probably the best you can do on a literal smartphone is like a little red button on the side. You can remap it, which if you're a ThinkPad user, you may have experience remapping some of their keyboard keys. I certainly do. So it's it's made to sort of seamlessly interact with the ThinkPad in some similar ways that the iPhone interacts with like Mac computers. So there's like one of the most obvious sort of glaring examples there is that they have a similar feature to continuity camera where you can use a ThinkPhone as like your webcam when you're video conferencing on a ThinkPad. And that's like super easy to set up. I got to try that. There's a number of other connectivity features. There's one called the, I think it's the United Clipboard where you can like take a photo with your phone and then like press control V on the ThinkPad and it like automatically pastes that photo like right into whatever's open on the ThinkPad. So kind of like what you can do with an iPhone and a Mac. So sort of, yeah. And there's um, there's a lot of other sharing. Like, they find each other really easily over Wi-Fi. There's, like, tethering stuff happening. It was a lot of fun to use, and I think it's like, like, if I had a ThinkPad, I think it would be, like, a really... I think it would make my life easier in a lot of ways. So th- that was a lot of fun to try. Who is the audience, though? Like, ThinkPad lovers... Like, ThinkPads are, like, one of the most beloved lines of all time. I mean, I know they're beloved, but, like, are there enough people out there who are, like, I'm going to get rid of my iPhone or, like, my fancy Samsung foldable or whatever and be, like, I'm going to fully embrace ThinkPad? 
I mean, I think the audience is fairly specific in that, like, it's it's really for hardcore ThinkPad people who, like, only use ThinkPads and really want something that will complement their ThinkPad use. I think, that, like, those people definitely exist, though. And I think I, it'll certainly be interesting to see how many people actually buy this. I mean, it's been, like, how many years in the making since, since Lenovo, Lenovo bought Motorola, so... I, I'm not the phone reviewer, so I, I didn't spend a ton of time testing, like, the dust-proof ratings or any, any of that, like, phone stuff. That wasn't what I was there to do. But I did, from the laptop side, get a chance to see, like, how well it interacted with the ThinkPad. Um, and it was pretty well. Awesome. Awesome. Allison's just furious right now. She's like, you didn't take any notes on this? <laughs> yeah, it was funny. And I was I was sort of talking to Allison about it, and she was like, oh, yeah, it has this, – this is such a cool phone. It has, like, this, like, military-grade durability feature and, like, this number of – this number of years under warranty. And I was like, oh, cool. I just like that you could, like, take a photo with it and paste it out with ThinkPad. I thought that was cool. <laughs> Allison's just like, mm. Yeah. Well, she'll be very excited. She's going to have so much fun reviewing it. We're going to learn all about Allison's secret love of ThinkPads. It's going to be great. You're going to have to be like, looking over her shoulder. It's going to be wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be like, hey, do that, do that. <laughs> you saw a bunch of stuff at the Lenovo booth. What other brands were doing interesting stuff? So Razer has its biggest blade ever, the Razer Blade 18. The Razer Blade 16 has a... It's a big boy. The mini LED display on the Razer Blade 16 is really cool. These both just look like Razer Blades. I mean, they all they all look the same. They're Razer Blades. So it's still like just absorbing your fingerprints? Yep. Absorb fingerprints, RGB keyboards. They got the little Razer logo on the back that everyone knows and loves. Blade 16 has a mini LED display, which looks really cool. We sort of were in like a dimly lit hotel room, which is where they had all this stuff laid out. They had their Razer Edge, which is like their gaming handheld. This wasn't announced here, but this was the first time that that I got hands-on time with it. Yeah. It's an Android tablet with like little controllers attached to it. It runs stuff from like I was like, what services does it have? It, they they gave me like twenty services. <laughs> like GeForce Now is on there, and um, Steam Xbox. Steam Link's on there. Like all yeah, all that stuff is on there. And they were playing some <laughs> different games with it. It's it's fun. There it's gonna come like with five G and cellular connectivity and without it. So like if that's something you're interested in, you want to just be out doing Android tablet stuff with it, um, and you want to pay more, that's an option for you. So I have a question for you about this. I remember, I think Cameron wrote about it for the site. He is a, he's a giant cloud gaming nerd. He's probably softly weeping that Stadia is dead, but not as much as Tom Warren. I, there's a lot of bereft people here about Stadia. Yeah, for sure. But it, it kind of reminded me, it mainly, to me, it looked more like they have these little controllers that you can attach to your phone, the, the Kishi, I think is how you say it. Yeah, it looks a little like that. And it felt kind of like that, but you're buying a tablet from Razer to stick in it instead of just your phone. Yeah, I mean, their pitch for this, I sort of asked them, I was like, so, like, is this just an Android tablet with controllers? And their pitch is, like, no, because of the the high refresh rate screen um, okay. is, like, much higher than you'll get on, like, most, like, Android tablets. It's, like, specifically for gaming. It looks very smooth. And because of the the extra, like all the gaming services that are, like, come natively on it. Okay. Um, so those are, like, the two main different things that you're paying for. But, like, at minimum, it is, like, an Android tablet. Like, you could just buy this and, like, use it as a very expensive high refresh rate Android tablet with controllers if you wanted to. <laughs> like, that option would be open to you. And they have this mini LED laptop. I know we've seen, like, Apple's, I think, has done some mini LED laptops. Is this the first we're seeing from, like, a Windows maker? 
No. So it's sort of been a trend that is like slowly and gradually been picking up speed over the past couple of years. This is a big year for it. Um, okay. We had a number of mini LED displays come out. And this one had like, I think they said a thousand local dimming zones, um, which is mm. higher than we heard from other laptops. And yeah. it, it looks it looks very cool. These will not be cheap laptops, but razor blades are not cheap. But it's cool to look at. And they had a little demo like on the side where they were showing. They had a little panel that had all the local dimming zones like arranged in a grid. And it would like show each little dimming zone lighting up when the dimming zone on the blade was lighting up or yeah. dim concurrently. So that was really cool to just see like how tiny these things actually are, how many of them there are and like how hard they're working basically like while this device is displaying an image. This is technology we've seen from TV makers for years now. Like they've been doing this a very long time and it's taken a super long time it feels like to laptops to catch up. I mean, you saw you said you saw a lot of them this year. Is this going to be kind of one of those things they're hoping will drive upgrade cycles and they're they're hoping people will see that display and be like yeah, that's my reason to go get a new laptop. I just bought one two years ago. Yeah, I suspect so. I mean, I think display was definitely a focus of many gaming manufacturers this year. You know, in the past couple of years, it's really been like you could get an OLED or you can get a high refresh rate screen, but like you mm-hmm. couldn't get both. Or you could get QHD or you could get like 240 hertz, but you couldn't get both of them. And you're starting to see those converge a little more so that it's the expect it's not as much the expectation that you'll have to give up like a ton of premium features in order to get one. Okay. So we saw a lot, for example, in the, it, we saw a number of uh, glasses free 3D displays. And one of the <laughs> big pitches for those is like, you don't have to give up other stuff to get this glasses free 3D. It's also OLED. It's also high refresh rate. Um, so like you can still game on it. Um, we're seeing high refresh rate OLED. We're seeing high refresh rate QHD. That's um, definitely a space where like the arms race is picking up. Do you think we're going to see a moment where laptop makers stop shipping laptops with absolute garbage displays? I mean, they're always going to do that in the sub thousand dollar category, right? Like they're never going to put a good display in something like there. Yeah, I was going to say. But in those more expensive ones, do you think we're going to see a moment where they're just like, you know what? We're done with garbage displays. We're going all in on LED. We're going all in on micro LED. And from now on, if you want a Dell XPS 13, it's going to be a really kick-ass display. You're not going to have to like look at your wallet and decide what's worth it. What I do think is we will definitely see this stuff start to come to lower price devices. Um, whether that will completely eliminate the need to have like 1920 by 1200 on lower price devices, I, I don't entirely know. But I do think that like while this stuff is in the premium space right now, it will, I would expect that like in the next couple years, like getting a 240 hertz QHD display, like will get significantly less expensive. Then often when you see this kind of like fancy stuff debut on fancy laptops, that is an important announcement, not just because it's going to be on those fancy laptops, but because it that sort of starts the clock for when we're going to see it on stuff in the sub 1000 range, um, because that is where most people are shopping, like stuff like the G14, stuff like the Acer Nitro, like that is better selling stuff than like the fanciest Acer, Predator, Triton and Helios. I feel like laptops are in this unique space where you have a whole bunch of different model types, right? Like a TV manufacturer is going to be like, okay, you get your 55 or your 65 or your 75. That's it. Laptop makers are like, okay, you can get your 13 inch. Now, would you like it with a 1980 by 1200 or a 1980 by 
1080, you know, like they're, they're asking for, they just ask you for tons of different things to choose. And you're inevitably like that laptop that's advertised for a thousand dollars and seems like a great deal. The one that actually makes sense is $3,000. And now you have no money. I'm just curious if we're going to see that condensing in the, in, at least in the monitors element of laptops as these OLEDs and mini LEDs become more popular. Yeah, like I think gamers, like in general, what what I hear from companies is that they like to have choice, and that part of the reason that many of these models are like so like that they're like a dizzying number of models compared to like the four options that there are for the XPS thirteen or whatever is that like just gamers are really really picky about about the kind of stuff that they want. So I wouldn't necessarily think that we'll see models condensing, but like if the question of like whether we'll see displays get better and better in the sub 1000 space i think is like absolutely true so we're see- we're seeing the trickle down we're it's it's happening all right well we're we're going to take a break and when we come back we're going to talk about why this is all happening because you've been writing a bunch about how yes. the laptop space is in a in a difficult spot right at the moment so we're <laughs> going to take a break and we'll be right back Support for this podcast comes from Canva. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what you can get built in a day? Your creative deck. You can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. It's AI for every department. It's easy to learn. It's even easier to use. And because it's built in Canva presentations, you can stay focused on the task at hand with no app switching. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Design for work. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. And we're back. Monica, you wrote this great piece that should be up by the time people are listening to this episode. We're editing it right now and having a great time. (laughs) That's all about how laptops are in kind of a bad place at the moment. People aren't buying them. Nobody wants to buy them. And the technology, the hardware maybe isn't always keeping up. So laptops are starting to pivot. Is that right? 
So I wouldn't. I don't know if I would call it a pivot, but one of the big things that, that sort of hung over this year's CES going into it was the fact that the PC market is like way, way down. You know, 2020 and 2021 were like huge, huge years for the PC, and there's been a lot of decline year over year throughout 2022. Because everybody bought their laptops. Every manufacturer besides Apple had declining sales, and laptops in particular saw a lot of decline. And there's a lot of, you know, there's stuff about refresh cycles, and there's the fact that Apple is, like, eating everyone's lunch in, like, the portable <laughs> laptop space. And in the processor space. And in the processor space, some in for, for the thin and light in particular. So one of the big questions going into the show was, like, how are, how are manufacturers going to deal with this? Not only, like, how are they actually going to deal with it, but how are they going to try to convince me that it's not a problem? And, like, what angle are they (laughs) going to take when I ask them? Did they convince you? Yeah, so there are a couple different uh, tacts that companies took. In general, you know, they the the task they have is to, like, you know, they have to get people to buy, to keep buying laptops, even if they may have laptops that they bought in 2020 that still work pretty well. Mm Mm-hmm. And how do they keep the market exciting so that people will be like, oh, I need that, even though this MacBook Air works fine. And so there are some directions that involve, like, how cool the laptop looks. And, like, Lenovo is, like, kind of an example of that with, like, the fancy dual screen. Um, There are companies like LG that released, like, really, like, beautiful color-changing laptops. Wait, what part of them is changing colors? So the LG Graham style. What a name. Is covered in an ear... It's stylish. It's covered in an iridescent finish. So, like, when you hold it up to the light, it can look, like, silver or purple or, like, orange sometimes, depending on, like, the angle and, like, where the sun is. It's very – so, like, there's, like, cool stuff like that that some companies are trying to do that's, like, eye-popping and – just sort of like is something that could jump out at you if you were shopping around. Yeah. Another tact that some companies are taking is like going hard on services, on like AI stuff and on features. So uh, when I spoke to Alex Cho, uh, HP's president of personal systems, who is great, his pitch was really hard on like, we're not a PC manufacturer. Like, don't think of us as just PCs. We're building an ecosystem. And, like, oh, we, okay. this year, our big pitch is, is, like, services. And HP has, like, their uh, booth that they their, – their sort of showcase that they had here in New York before CES. Um, the big front and center thing was, like, webcam features. And so they had – there's, like, a dual webcam thing that some of their laptops support now where you can have like two webcams plugged into one laptop and it'll like switch between the feeds depending on like where you're looking because it's tracking your eyes fancy they had yeah they have like this present this new presence software that a bunch of stuff is built on that uh, tracks where your head is and tracks where your eyes are they have just a lot of different uh, webcam stuff. And that's sort of something you're seeing across the line like Razer I mentioned earlier they have this like sound bar that tracks like where your head is and based on that it like adjusts like what the audio sounds like to make it still sound like it's moving with you essentially there's as i mentioned earlier there's like 3d displays that rely on knowing where you're looking to be able to show you the two different images in order to create the 3d 
So you know, HP has this new like concierge service that oh, no. uh, provides like twenty four seven live support. There's a lot of emphasis on cloud gaming this year. I mentioned uh, Razer's new like cloud gaming handheld. Um, HP has like integrated GeForce Now with its HP Omen software client thing. Yeah, there was the, and there was all that work we talked about uh, in the first segment about Lenovo and and the stuff they were doing with the phone and the stuff they were doing to make this this dual screen laptop work so yeah but these companies aren't known for their software like anyone who's used an hp printer (laughs) is familiar with hp's software anybody who's first opened an hp laptop knows that software why should i be inspired or like want to more regularly engage with them especially when samsung who's actually pretty good at software and apple who's made it their deal for a long time now, also kind of struggle with services sometimes. So on the commercial side, uh, they're really pushing it for, like, the hybrid worker and Mm -hmm. the freelancer. Oh. And that's the pitch they have for their concierge service, which I don't entirely buy. But their claim is, like, you know, if you're a... If you're someone who, like, is running your own business from your laptop and you just don't have an IT department but you really want to be able to quickly access service, you can press this button and pull up an HP concierge to service your laptop. Yeah. I'm not convinced that that's the target audience as much as, like, my parents who, like, (laughs) might, like, buy this laptop and, like, have no idea why it, like – won't turn on or something. But um, the, the pitch they're making is that it's more for, like, people who who are a small business or who don't have a huge IT department and want, like, their Zoom calls to look really professional and want to have access to all these cool features but, like, don't have a company doing it for them. Um, again, okay. I don't know. When I look at this stuff, I sort of – the question I always ask is, like, is this new fancy thing – addressing a need that is actually there or is it creating a need that I am not sure people actually have right now? What I think is addressing a need that's already there is the Lenovo dual screen. Like I think there are like a ton of times in my life when I'm like doing some work and I'm like, wow, I'd really love to have like a second screen here right now. Yeah. I'm not sure if all this like present sensing, fancy webcam, fancy sound, 3D screen stuff is quite, I, I am more on the fence about that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think like that makes sense if you're a recruiter and you want to look just like tip top for all of your remote interviews that you're doing throughout the day. It makes less sense if you're just like using your laptop for quick books and sending emails to vendors, which is assume I assume what small businesses do. <laughs> and freelancers. Just email, yeah. Yeah. Well, you also I th- I know you saw a lot of processor stuff at the show and you you did like that scathing takedown of the Intel P series last year which was tip top <laughs> loved it. Absolutely wild that they're like what if we just made a processor that was the exact same as our super fast processor. Yeah. But kind of tweaked it to go a little slower and use a little less energy, and that sucked. Yeah. But were things a little more exciting this year? Do do you feel like AMD and and Intel and these companies are finally going to be catching up to Apple in that laptop space? Because Apple's just kicking everybody's ass. It's really hard to know from the the charts we have right now. They definitely both 
made a splash. AMD released this like absolutely massive 16 core chip. <laughs> Intel released a 24 core chip, but that is like eight performance cores and 16 efficiency cores. Whereas the AMD chip is like 16 like full firings and four <laughs> cores. So I think that's that stack up to be very competitive. These are but but like I remember I saw and, and Tom and Sean and I and we were like looking at these like AMD like the chart that AMD sent us that had all the chips, and we were just like, what? How is AMD putting that in a laptop? Like, that is wild. There definitely is exciting stuff coming out of these processor announcements. Will these be laptops that have, like, any kind of battery life at all is really the question we're going to have to wait and see. Will this last longer than 30 minutes on battery? Uh, We really don't know. The target audience for these chips doesn't necessarily care about having laptops that last eight hours, but that doesn't mean that they'll be happy necessarily with a battery that only lasts, like, five minutes. (laughs) Who who, who is okay? Who is is the person buying a laptop that is okay with having five minutes of battery life? Yeah, so I will say whenever I write a review, like, and and I say like I don't like that this didn't last long, very long on battery for me. Without fail, there are people in the comments saying, "Well, I don't care about battery life at all on my laptop." So, yeah, your <laughs> review's wrong. I, there are certainly there are certainly groups of people who don't need very long battery life on their okay. laptops. However, I do think that like there is some amount of battery power a laptop should have in order to justify its existence as like a laptop rather than. <laughs> Like a mini, a, a PC, like a desktop, yeah, a, a PC that you can just pick up and go with. Right. Part of the appeal is that you could like move it around your house, or potentially like use it at a friend's house, or like you know <laughs> that you don't necessarily need to be plugged in or out all the time. So that is like a big question mark that we'll have to see. But of course, it's not the most important thing about these chips. Okay. So so they seem to really focus not on battery life where Apple is just crushing them, but more on power. Oh, definitely. And they had, I mean, they very much hedged that, like, when I was uh, talking to Jason Banta from AMD, he very much hedged, like, these are not going to have good battery life, basically. <laughs> <laughs> like, he was like, you know, our tar- that we're, we're really targeting an audience that doesn't care about battery life as much as they care about, you know, X and Y and Z, which, you know, is a fair audience to target. Are they planning to ever target audiences that like battery life? Well, not with this particular, the 16-core chip. I mean, they, okay. the, their, their other chips, I think, are. But this was where they were announcing their high-power laptop chips. So, like, the H-series for Intel and... I don't know. What is the series called for AMD? So the 7045 series is Zen 4. Okay. That goes up to 16 cores and 32 threads. There's the 740 series, which is going to be, that's the Phoenix. That's going to be for like thinner gaming laptops. (laughs) Okay. There's the 735 series, which is Rembrandt R. That's for like the premium thin and light space. Monica, what are these names? These names make no sense. There's the Ryzen 7030 series, which is for mainstream thin and light. Is it called the Picasso? No, that's called the Barcelo R. What does that mean? I have no idea. <laughs> and that goes up to eight, that goes up to eight cores, sixteen threads, as do the previous two that I mentioned. And then there's the Ryzen seven twenty, which is like your Athlon. So that's going to be for like very low power budget devices. Um, and that goes up to four cores. So there's a whole there's a whole range of stuff on here. Well, I'm very excited for your one minute long battery test for all these HX series. It's going to be a lot of fun. Was there anything else that like you saw at CES? Any kind of trends that you feel are coming for the laptop space? What do we need to brace ourselves for this year? 
for for brands we didn't get to, like I said, LG has the Style, which is that really cool color changing one. It has the Ultra Slim, which is I think it's its like thinnest and lightest LG gram ever. Mm-hmm. It's either the thinnest or the lightest, but it is so light. Like you pick that up and it's like it it feels like you're holding like a dummy chassis. It's like absurdly <laughs> light. I have no idea who's gonna like want that, but it. Like it's it's rem- that thing is remarkable. HP has a new. It's called the Dragonfly Pro Chromebook. It has an RGB keyboard because you know why not um, put that on a Chromebook that's not for gaming. Yeah, I think Neilai's planning to get that for his parents. Go for it, Neilai. I'm Godspeed. I'm very happy uh, for you. <laughs> um, they have the Dragonfly Pro, which is not the Elite Dragonfly that remains. That also had a refresh. There's the Dragonfly G4 now, but that is for businesses, that's a business laptop. The Dragonfly Pro, despite having Pro in its name, is for consumers. So, you know, very simple name that makes sense to everyone. But that is sort of a push from them to uh, target who I mentioned earlier, like the freelancer or like the mobile professional. The contractors. Right, the (laughs) contractors. Yeah, in terms of trends, um, this is definitely going to be a big display year, especially on the gaming side. We're seeing uh, like a lot of convergence of, you know, buzzwords like OLED and mini LED and refresh rate and resolution. And uh, and I can't believe I'm saying this in 2022 or 2023, 3D, glasses-free 3D <laughs> is a thing now that is coming to some laptops. I refuse Acer. to be excited about it. <laughs> I refuse to be excited about 3D. Acer had one last year, but it's like it like updated it this year. Dell has like a 3D thing. We're seeing all that sort of come together and, and that we're able to get more of those features on displays than where previously you had to sacrifice some of them together. Um, so displays are definitely getting better. I think there there was a big focus on video conferencing this year, as there was last year, and AI and the role in that was a huge part of it. AMD and Intel both are planning to have AI architecture on the dies of some of their processors, which is at the moment the most relevant application of that to like most people is going to be stuff like Windows Studio Effect and AMD had Panos Panay on stage uh, to talk about that. But it's going to be like more webcam present sensing stuff for now. And then the pitch is that later on, we're going to see people come up with more heavy duty AI use cases for that stuff. But that's that's really other big thing. And there's definitely, as there has been for the past few years, a focus on like how laptops will respond to changing work patterns. So like last year, I think there was a lot of focus on work from home and remote work. I think this year it's shifted a little more towards hybrid and people who like want a laptop that they can use both in the office and at home. Isn't that just every laptop? (laughs) Some companies are trying to pitch it more as like, here, you only need one cord to plug this into this monitor, Um, where before it was more complicated. They're embracing the dock again. It's that, and it's a lot more of a focus on, you know, and there's always kind of a focus on, like, laptops getting thinner, but this year, I think a lot of it's really being pitched as, like, this is thin so that you can bring it to the office, or, like, so that you can bring it to Starbucks and focus on the quote-unquote mobile professional or mobile freelancer. Do you think, so, one of the best laptops ever made was the Apple PowerBook Pismo G3. Uh This thing came out on, like, yeah, you sound so enthusiastic uh-huh. and excited about this question. <laughs> this thing came out in like 1998, 1999, I think. Please tell me more. It had a dock and all and all of the ports were on the back. So whenever you wanted to plug in, you just went thump and you just shoved it into the dock. 
and it looked pretty and it worked so nice. And every doc sense has been like, it's a dongle and you plug it in. Do you think we're going to get back to that point where you're like, thump? Because I like the satisfaction was wonderful. There definitely is a focus, I think, on making monitors simpler to mm-hmm. use, which is great for me because the current monitor I have, like, I have to plug, like, four computers into it a week. And, like, yeah. <laughs> it is difficult right now to figure out how to how to plug them all in. So that is definitely, I think, a trend you'll see more in, in peripherals this year is, is, is simplifying their moving them between use cases and making those more versatile to connect. So we're not quite to thunk yet, but we may be. I'm not sure if we're to that yet. Well, Monica, thank you so much. This has been a wonderful conversation. We're going to take a break. When we're back, I'm going to be talking with Victoria Song all about all the health stuff that came out of CES, what's going on with the FDA there, and how long it'll take for this health stuff to actually get into our homes. It's going to be great. Thanks again, Monica. Thank you. Now to the break. Hey, it's Tom Warren, Senior Editor at The Verge here. Microsoft is in an era-defining moment. It's betting on AI as the future of work, its Xbox business is going through transformational changes, and the Mac versus PC war is about to be back on. So, I'm launching a newsletter called Notepad. It'll be your inside guide to all those changes and beyond. From details on the next Xbox, to that one time every Microsoft employee named Michael appeared on a mysterious email list. Whatever is happening at Microsoft, you'll be able to read about it first in Notepad every Thursday. Go subscribe now at theverge.com forward slash Notepad. Okay, and we're back. And as I teased at the beginning of the show, there was a lot of health tech at CES this year. There were the smartwatches and the makeup tools and the P sensors and a ton of hearing aids. A lot of this stuff is very cool. It's super exciting, but it almost never reaches the United States, mostly because of FDA regulations around medical technology. It's a tricky issue. So I wanted to talk to our reviewer, Victoria Song, who just wrote a really fantastic piece explaining this regulatory maze behind all that health tech. Victoria, are you recovered from your CES funk that you got without actually being at CES? That's how powerful CES is. I got the CES flu without going. And like, you know, I'm still a little sniffly and I don't know if my voice is 100% back to normal, but I don't sound like Marge Simpson anymore. So good stuff. It's like, level up, level up. I mean, that would have been great. We would have been like, we have Marge Simpson on the Verge cast today. Tell us about health tech. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, I mean, it was cool. It was it was interesting at CES this year because a lot of it is very it's it's kind of a mix between what's conceptual and what's actually real and everything that's in the gray area in between. Uh-huh. So, you know, like that's always CES, right? There's always a degree of vaporware at CES Big where degree. you're like a lot of vaporware. A lot of vaporware, but particularly in the health sector where you're just like, wow. This concept is going to change the medical industry as we know it. Five years later, the product comes out and it's nerfed. Yeah. And it's not no nowhere near as cool as what they what they said it was gonna be. And I think the coolest I don't know about coolest, but the most interesting <laughs> thing I saw <laughs> this year was why things you scan. That was the P sensor. Yes. It is a little sensor that you stick in your toilet 
and to pee on. Yeah. And it's got all these it's all it's got all these things in it, like a thermal sensor and a radar sensor, so it can like identify your individual urine stream, which is just like, wow, what amazing technology for your for your toilet. Use a radar. It's like are are pee streams different? Yes. Well, it claims that it can differentiate people by their pee streams. So, like, it's one user per pee scanner. Okay. So, you know, like, let's say you have multiple people in your house and you don't want your roommate's urinary test results. You want yours. Yeah. So it can identify you by how you pee. And it also can tell the difference between, like, your pee and the water due to temperature sensors. So it's just really amazing, (laughs) thoughtful, like— technology that's gone into this thing that sounds absurd but is actually like medically very cool Uh, especially like i think the most relatable uh use case would be for diabetics right Mm -hmm. like they have to take urine tests all the time to you know make sure they're not in ketoacidosis so this would make things easier for them because first of all if you've ever had to take a urine sample I really hope you know what your aim is because that could be real messy. And this is just you peeing anyway. Oh, my God. The, the number of, like, pee facts that I had to learn while writing. You learned a lot. I learned so much. Did you know there's 3,000 metabolites in your pee? You do now. I didn't even know what a metabolite was until you just said that. It's just stuff that tells you about your metabolism, like ketones, which are a byproduct of breaking down fat. This actually seemed like a cool thing because we're starting to see more of these tests in people's homes instead of just going to the doctors. Like, I feel like COVID really changed things for us. Oh, yeah. And so now it's much more acceptable and people feel okay doing taking this test at home. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, you know, I'm sure everyone's really familiar with the rapid antigen tests, but there were actually molecular tests that you could have at home. Like Google sent out the Q health test. And like, of course, these were really expensive. Yeah. But, you know, I had a bunch. I was testing them because I was writing about them a few months ago. And it's amazing. It's just like this little machine that is there and it uploads your results wirelessly to your phone. And so it really makes things easy because you don't have to send things out to a lab. Mm -hmm. And that kind of instantaneous knowledge can be really helpful for remote patient monitoring, which a lot of the health tech like that we saw this year was kind of around the idea of remote patient monitoring, which is, you know, it's, it's a big foundational gap. But at the same time, isn't there like a lot of approval thing we have to do? Because right now we do it in the lab because the lab is a controlled setting. You're not as likely to screw up your results because you pick your nose before you handle something. Don't do that. Just don't do that in general. Wash your hands. But but like, but there's a lot of opportunity to screw up those tests at home. And and so there is there a lot of is there regulation oversight? Like you wrote a big story this last week, I believe, yes. on this stuff. Is it happening? Are we getting oversight? So I actually think that the FDA is going to play a lot bigger role in CES going forward just because, you know, the FDA exists for a very important reason, and that is to protect public health. Right. And that's so that when you get a health tech gadget, it doesn't kill you. It doesn't <laughs> hurt you. It yeah. doesn't put your life in danger in any, like, shape or form. So, like, the Wythings P-Scanner, it has to go through the FDA clearance process before it can ever be sold, which is why it's not going to be sold in the U.S., even though it's slated for European release sometime this year. European release. Yeah, you're a P. Yes! <laughs> yeah, so... Like, it was really funny because I was writing this story and I was just like, oh, my God, 
Here I am again talking about my arch nemesis, the FDA. <laughs> and they're not actually my arch nemesis. They're like I'm very appreciative of the work that they do. But you know, when you're a health tech writer, when you cover wearables, you just kind of learn a lot of jargon. And you know, FDA clearance is not the same thing as FDA approval. Right. So if you ever see like a report that's like the FDA approved this product, or if you're ever shopping for something that says FDA approved, that's the number one tell that they are lying through their pants because the <laughs> FDA does not approve products. It clears them. It's just like we've cleared that this has gone through the appropriate testing so that you won't likely die yeah. is basically what, what it is. So it, it leaves a really big, wide range of things that makes everything really confusing in my beat. Yeah. Especially like... I see products all the time, especially in wearables, where they're, like, clinically validated. N no, it's not. You're not an FDA-regulated device. How are you clinically validated? And then, if, you know, you click on things, and you're like, oh, you wrote a white paper that's funded by you. Of course, you're getting positive results on, on XYZ. Yeah. Shocking. Shocking. Very, very not shocking, really. But, like, the whole reason why you would want FDA clearance— mm -hmm. Is that, you know, you can buy it and you can be confident that it's safe for you, that it's going to work in the way that it's supposed to work. And we're seeing that right now with uh, over-the-counter hearing aids and hearables, which uh, I'm telling you, that's going to be a really big thing coming out of wearables this year. Well, let's let's talk about that because we talked about the P-Sensor and it is, doesn't have FDA clearance yet. Nope. But it's hoping to have it at some point this year. You know, it's really funny. Every single time I'm like, hey, are you going through the FDA clearance process? These companies, like the, the heads of them, they're always just like, Ugh, yes, <laughs> I can't tell you when it's coming out because uh, who knows when the FDA is going to approve everything. And, you know, Wythings is a really good example because they're constantly coming to CES with these really cool health tech products yeah. that never make it to the U.S. because it takes like two, three years. Okay. Or like it'll take two, three years before it ever gets to the U.S. So I think there's like one smartwatch that I saw at CES 2018 that's still not out here. It's it's really funny. Yeah. It, there was like a watch that was like a blood pressure monitor cuff that I feel just never got approval. Or did that one finally get approval? There was the Omron blood pressure monitor cuff, and that got approval like two years later. But it's it's not like a really fun device for normal people to wear. It's if you have hypertension, yeah. you're going to wear that. I reviewed it many moons ago for Gizmodo. There you go. I vaguely remember that product. But let's talk about let's talk about the hearables and in, in the hearing aid place because I think last year kind of set the stage for that, right? Like, was it last year that yes. they said we we're going to do over-the-counter hearing aids? You won't have to go to an audiologist. You won't have to go to a... Just go buy it. Yeah, no. This has actually been in the works for five years. Wow. This is what I'm telling you. <laughs> tech moves fast. Medicine moves slow. So health tech moves at the speed of a snail. Like, it's just, like, <laughs> inching along all the time. But so this this has been in the process for over five years. It took, like, I think Trump was the first president to be like, yeah, we're going to do this. And then, it, I mean, he's gone now, right? Yeah. It just got approved. The, the ruling got approved last year in the middle of the year. And then the products didn't start hitting shelves until mid-October. Okay. So we're still in the very, 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 very early stages of over-the-counter hearing aids. But, you know, this is a whole minefield. Because if I tell you over-the-counter hearing aids versus over-the-counter self-fitting hearing aids versus hearing aids, these are all different things. 
they all fundamentally do the same thing, right? Like they all go in your ear and they assist you in hearing better. Fundamentally, they go in your ear and you hear better. Okay. Yes. But they do different things (laughs) to different degrees. And it's very confusing. I have been like, I have been reporting on this for like three months at this point, talking to a lot of different audiologists. And it's, it's a nightmare. Like, yeah, I, I just it's it's very confusing and it's going to be confusing until like the dust settles a little bit. But with regard to the FDA, it's great that they have over the counter hearing aids because now you can go into the store. They'll be at your Best Buy. They'll be at your local like, I don't know, your Dwayne Reed or Walmart. Yeah. Like those places. And yeah. You can buy them and you can know that the FDA tested it and you're not going to damage your hearing because they regulate the output levels of sound. There's going to be a degree where you're able to kind of um, self-fitting means you'll be able to like have a little hearing test in, in an app and it'll be personalized to you. Okay. So great. Cool. There's already products out here that kind of do that that are not hearing aids. And that do not have FDA regulation. Like I'm wearing AirPods. AirPods are one of the the things that are like really interesting, right? Because they have conversation boost. Conversation boost, you know, it makes people's voices easier to hear in louder right. environments. That's what a hearing aid does. The AirPods are not hearing aid because they have not been regulated for output levels. They don't necessarily do everything that a hearing aid needs to do. And I think what's going to be interesting going forward is you might see some consumer audio companies just, like, pull back their their features. Oh, interesting. Well, it's because, like, the, the question, and I get, it, this, get into this in my piece, the question that they have to ask themselves is, well, do I want to be regulated by the FDA and go through everything that involves an FDA clearance process? There's, there's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot that goes into that. Well, do they have to go into the FDA clearance process? Like, is Apple going to have to get new generations of AirPods approved? That is unclear at the moment because this is so new and everything is shaking out. But say the FDA were to look at a feature, like, this is all hypothetical, but say mm-hmm. the FDA were to look at a feature like AirPods uh, Conversation Boost on right. the Pro. And they went, hey, that's really similar to hearing aids. And we think that that should be regulated. So that we don't bust eardrums with loud noises. Right. So let's say that they say that aspect is really similar to a hearing aid, an over-counter hearing aid. You now need to go through compliance. You need to show us that you are able to meet all of these factors. And, you know, that involves a lot. Like I talked to Movano Health and they're they're a really fascinating company. They're making a smart ring that's for women, women first. Love this. Uh, that's going to be a fully FDA cleared medical device, which is amazing because, you know, you have the Apple Watch. That's not an FDA cleared device. It's a device that has an FDA cleared feature. So now you see why I rip out my hair every single time I write about this stuff. It's very nuanced, very complicated. But, you know, I was talking to their CEO and he has like a wealth of knowledge because he spent like 30 years making products for people with diabetes. Okay. And those are all medical devices. Right. So he was telling me that, you know, we focus on like accuracy a lot with FDA clearance. Accuracy is less than 1% of what goes into an FDA filing. They have to be HIPAA compliant. They have to show that, you know, your data is encrypted. They have to show out what the communication protocols are. They have to have that tested by an independent party. They have to have their devices manufactured at a medical device 
factory. They can't go to like consumer grade. Yeah. That's like a whole nightmare. And even, 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 even with the clinical accuracy testing, like he described the process to me and like the hypoxia trial, which is, you know, oxygen deficiency. Mm -hmm. You basically have to take a person, both genders and all skin tones, and lower their oxygen levels bit by bit. And then blind check all the, all the data. So it's it's like incredibly intense, expensive, and like the regulatory paperwork. I just I don't want to be the person who handles that paperwork. It's a nightmare. But it also is good in the long run because then we don't like people of various skin tones can go and get advice and know that it will work. I've actually been asking a lot of these wearable makers about skin tones because Mm -hmm. I think there was a thing that came out a while back that was saying that pulse oximeters were not equally good for people of darker skin. And all these companies will tell you, like, yeah, that's true. Just because of the way the technology works, it works by reflecting light into your skin and people with more melanin will reflect less light back. That's just kind of a flaw of the the actual technology itself. Right. But, you know, I'm asking them about what their their protocols for testing with people of um, different skin tones are. And Mm -hmm. if you're FDA regulated, you have to prove. You have to prove that you work just as well across all skin tones. If you're not FDA regulated, you don't really have to prove nothing, right? Yeah. You can say that we're super accurate and we just have to trust that you've done the testing. And then you, Victoria, have to go find a bunch of people and test it for a wonderful video on TheVerge.com. I mean, yeah, it's going to be super unscientific, but yeah, like it's, you know, and, you know, I've been asking them recently about tattoos as well, because that's another thing where you see all these people online going like, oh, my God, my Apple Watch doesn't work. And it's because they have a tattoo. Because I have tattoos. And and it's like, yeah, that's actually a, a real problem, again, because when you tattoo your skin— you're you're putting ink there and making it really difficult for the light to reflect off. So these are these are problems where if you were FDA regulated, they would be less of a problem because before it could ever go to market, you'd have to prove that you are clinically like clinical grade accurate. Whereas, you know, most of the consumer products out there that claim to do SPO2, they don't have to do that. I've tested a bunch of products and you can read my reviews where they say I have an SPO2 level of 83%. If you have an SBO2 level of 83%, you best be in an ambulance on your way to the hospital. <laughs> that is below what the, what like is acceptable for people with copti. Yeah. So it's it's just like like this this device. Call 911. And they get away with it because they say we're a wellness device, we're not a medical device. So you just I I guess what I'm getting at is like you're going to see the lines blurring between what is and what isn't a medical device, which means the FDA is going to have to you know, like put on their big boy pants, not that they aren't on already, but even bigger big boy pants and just go like, okay, we kind of have to sort out the mess that is the consumer health tech product world because it's it's a mess. It's a real mess. Like, I got to tell you. Do you think they're going to? I mean, they kind of have to with the hearing aids because they opened this can of words. So they're kind of stuck with hearing aids. They're stuck with hearing aids. They, they brought this upon themselves. They have to do that. But I think you're going to start to see it more and more often. Like Apple was a really good example when they brought out EKGs, right? Right. When they brought out EKGs on the Series 4, it had to go through the FDA uh, de novo clearance process. And basically, they had to do that because they were having some sort of diagnostic capability. It's not really diagnosing, but it's saying, hey— you might have AFib. You should go see a doctor. Yeah, it even says when you go and run one, it's like, this is not 
the same thing as going to the doctors. If you feel bad, call 911. Don't just check it on your watch. Yeah, like there's a lot of like medical descriptions down there. But, you know, it does have some sort of a detection capability, right? Yeah. So the thing with SpO2 sensors and why you see all these SpO2 sensors, even though functionally they don't do jack right now at least, is, you know, Fitbit has been doing this for a really long time, but they're trying to detect sleep apnea. Yeah. Using your blood oxygen. Now, if they were to say that they could detect sleep apnea, well, the FDA would have to get involved. (laughs) And what they would like to do is for someone else to figure it out and go through the process so then they can ride those coattails, basically. Right. And then, you know, have this thing out there. So they have the sensors on there, just hoping that someone else is going to do the dirty work. And I see a lot of that of just these companies going around, putting the sensors in for future proofing, and then hoping someone else does the dirty work to get the clearance. Because <laughs> once one one person gets it cleared, the rest of them will follow. So th- there's a lot of that going on. Just the FDA just sits there. And it's, it's very, like, I want to emphasize that it's very good that the FDA does this. Because, you know, I think the next frontier of wearables is going to be non-invasive blood glucose monitoring. Right. Which will be so great for diabetics, but that's life or death. You cannot F that up. You, yeah. You cannot screw up someone's blood sugar levels. You will you will kill someone. You will kill someone. You will be sued. You need the FDA to regulate the hell out of that. And and the same goes for blood pressure, which was another thing at CES with Valence Cell, which, you know, I love catching up with Valence Cell every year because nobody knows. They they did the finger one, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I've been talking to Valencell for the last five, six years at every CES, just going, hey, guys, what's up? Because they make optical sensor tech that goes into a lot of wearables that you may already have, like Jabra's, uh, Bose, LG. Like, their tech is in a lot of stuff. Yeah. But you've never heard of them because they're a B2B company. But, you know, this year they're like, we're going to make our own thing because the gosh dang FDA won't approve our tech unless it's in a commercial product. And we tried to get other people to make it, and they wouldn't. So now we're here and we have to make this tech ourselves because this is just the state of things. And it's, it's really cool tech. It is a fingertip blood pressure monitor that looks like one of those fingertip pulse oximeters. Right. And, you know, it, it's, it supposedly will be able to take an accurate blood pressure reading without you having to use a cuff and without you having to calibrate anything. So that would be like, you know, that would be huge. To have in, like, the consumer world. That would that would just change hypertension treatment. It, it's, it's, like, mind-staggeringly amazing what that could do if it gets FDA clearance. Yeah, I mean, as, as somebody who has blood pressure issues, I, you know, if I want to take my blood pressure, I have to, like, make sure my arm is bare because if you take it over a sweater, you'll look like you're dying and then you'll have panic and talk to your doctor who will say, no, take your shirt off or, like, reveal your your, your arm. And so it seems like a really, really cool thing, but also I was, it seemed like it was also still kind of not accurate just from the reports we were getting out of CES. I mean, you are on a show floor, so there's going to be a degree of whatevers, but if they pass FDA clearance, that's going to assure a degree of accuracy, you know? So, like, if they get FDA clearance, then you can be like, oh, well, maybe that was just because it was on the show floor. It was a prototype. You, you know, it's, it's hard to really gauge what the accuracy is going to be in, like, a CES-type setting. But, you know, it's, 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 like, huge. It's innovative tech. It's stuff that we should be pursuing. But, you know, companies look at that and they go, like, oh, Jesus Christ, I don't got the time. I don't got the time for this. The time, the Hopefully money. someone else will do it. It's expensive. It's yeah. so much paperwork. 
involved. It's, it's And, you know, you want that. You want to be safe. You want to not die. Like, whenever Elon Musk, if he ever actually does Neuralink, I want the FDA involved. <laughs> like, oh, you, you don't want to put a chip in your brain without FDA approval that it won't kill you? Like, it's killed many, many monkeys? Shocking. I want documentation to be there that this is, like, safe for the marketplace. I don't yeah. want to have to, like... Like and that's that's the really frustrating thing about my beat because so much of it conceptually is really cool and we have the technology, but the willing and this is capitalism, like the willingness of companies to invest in this technology versus the effort that's gonna go into getting through the FDA regulation process is nil. It's just nothing. <laughs> it's they would rather play in the wellness space because the FDA don't care. If you wanna log every night of sleep from now until you die. They're cool with that because that's just for you. That's yeah. that's for your knowledge. That's not like substantially if your sleep tracking is inaccurate to a degree, you're not going to die from that. Reasonably speaking, you're not going to die from that. You're just going to be like, oh, my God, it's inaccurate, which, you know, it's all inaccurate anyway. So, yeah. Now, now you know why, like, when my editors come to the FDA articles, they're just like, oh, God, okay. You have to brace yourself. Whenever whenever I'm about to edit one of your stories and it's got FDA in it, I'm like, okay, I have to like put on my, like, I have to think really hard. It's like reading, it's like editing anything, anything legal, but those FDA ones are rough. They're, they're super rough. Wonderful copy, though. The copy is beautiful. <laughs> Thinking about FDA regulations, terrible. Well, Victoria, thank you so much. This has been a fantastic, very interesting conversation. If you want to read more, the story is called The Regulatory Maze Behind Health Tech Vaporware. It's super, super good. I highly recommend everybody go check it out. It's there on TheVerge.com. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. And I, and I swear the story is more articulate than me. <laughs> oh, you were wonderful. Okay, that's it for The Vergecast today. Thank you for listening. As always, there's a ton more coverage on everything we talked about on TheVerge.com. If you have thoughts, feedbacks, feelings, you can always email Vergecast at TheVerge.com. And if you have questions, call the hotline, 866-VERGE-11. Send us all your big thoughts and questions about all things tech. This show is produced by Andrew Marino and Liam James. Nori Donovan is our executive producer, and Brooke Minters is our editorial director of audio. The Vergecast is a Verge production and part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Neil and I will be back on Friday to chat with more of the Verge crew about whatever is happening this week. Until then, I'll see you later. Rock and roll. Thanks to Canva for their support. Canva wants to make your presentations come as easy as those thoughts that pass through your head. And thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work.